Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben, and welcome to episode 293 of the podcast. It's November 29th, 2017. My guest today for part one of what will be a two-part series, uh, he is uh, a really dynamic speaker, a manufacturing leader, Billy R. Taylor. I saw Billy speak a few years ago at a Shingo Prize conference. I've wanted to get him on the podcast ever since, and I'm really glad we were able to make that happen here. He is currently the Director of Commercial Off-Highway and Support Manufacturing North America for the Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company. Over the past 20 years, he has risen from what he calls the lowest level of the organization at the front lines of the company up through manufacturing leadership ranks, including time as a plant director at facilities in Oklahoma and North Carolina. He's been engaged in lean for over 15 years. He is a Six Sigma master black belt. Uh, Billy has a BS in electrical engineering from Prairie View A&M University and an MBA from Baker University. So today we'll have about 30 minutes of the conversation. I'll bring the rest of it to you in the next episode. Uh, we're going to talk about how Billy got started with Lean, how he helped um, you know, shift some of the focus from a tools and event-based approach to more of a culture focus, how to build a sense of ownership, servant leadership, strategy deployment, employee recognition, and more. So if uh, you'd like to share a link to this episode, you can go to leanblog.org slash 293. Thanks for listening. Billy, hi. Thank you so much for joining us and being a guest here on the podcast today. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me. I'm excited about uh, actually engaging in the podcast with you. Um, I was wondering if you could you know, start off first, you know, before talking about Lean and can you introduce yourself? Um, tell the listeners a little bit about your professional background and, and some of the things you've uh, done in your career. Uh, I've actually I've been with Goodyear over 20 years um, in the operations field. Uh, I started out on the shop floors at the lowest level of the organization, and now I'm currently uh, the director of uh, manufacturing for North America Commercial our off-highway division, race car, uh, and also our aviation. And uh, I've been engaged in lean uh, for the better 15 years now uh, with practical experience. And how did you first get introduced to lean? Uh, Actually, it was really tool-based. When we first, we as a company, started hearing a lot about uh, lean and the Toyota transformation and the Toyota process, uh, really tool-based focus. We had a lot of speakers come in and talk to us about bus routes, 5S. Uh, it was really tool-based, and I was at that time in a struggling department. And so it was at that point I was willing to try anything. And uh, as I continued to get engaged into the lean process, um, the culture piece is, is what really intrigued me around lean. And so we had some success in one of the plants I was in. I was running a department, and I recall the uh, the senior executive, uh, he issued a challenge to me, and I think it was 8,000 tires a day, and we at that point we were making around 7,000. And it was quick. It came quickly to our attention 
that we were not going to get there if we didn't address address the cultural piece around the tools. And we started to ask questions around organizations, AME, Shingo, and we started to get advice around our journeys. And then at that point, Lean became something that really interested me. Can, can you, you know, think back to, you know, if, if uh, tools was the starting point, and I, and I think that's pretty common in, in people's education or how, uh, about Lean or how they get started with Lean. I think this is true in my own work, uh, you know, kind of inventory management tools and um, uh, 5S perhaps as a tool. Were, were there some uh, problems or, or shortcomings you saw in that approach? How, how did thinking about Lean more as a culture help in terms of uh, what you were trying to achieve? Well, when we were tool-based, it, it was, uh, it, the focus was on, it was basically event-focused. Hmm. We're going to do a quick change event. We're going to do a Kaizen event. Uh, and, and those were the tools we were using. And, you know, we're going to do a Demaic event. And, and what we realized, if you didn't address the cultural piece, where you put processes in place around the tools uh, where you could fully embrace and get the full impact of the tool, it had to be around the culture. So you had to build evangelists around the tools, evangelists around the process. And so what would happen, we started the transformation. Uh, we looked at Demaic, and we, we kind of used to joke about it. It wasn't Demaic, it was die. So instead of define, measure, analyze, improve, and control, we actually define and went right to improve. <laughs> okay, and then what happened? The execution part, you end up dying two mm -hmm. weeks later because mm -hmm. the system will go away. There was no sustainment because governance, we found, was the greatest tool. Right? It was around sustainment. Right? Once you change the guard, how do you guard to change? Hmm. And, and, and so, how do you define, you know, governments, governance in terms mm -hmm. of um, whether it's, you know, a project or, or some sort of change initiative? Can you, can you talk about that a little bit more? Right. Governance is the closed loop system. It's, it's the closed loop uh, that when we go back, when you say control. So what does control mean? And even in the May, it means you have a process to go back. You have to, and you have an action register. Who owns what? And so, we, we, consistently, we go back. It's a closed loop system, and it's not a, a system where people were their chest ties are hazed. For that matter, it's around. Here's what we agree to. How do we know it is still in place? What are the processes we're using to govern? Example: We have what's called a a more meeting. Um, every month with and there's a big board that has action register that you have to take a sticky note and go up to the board and put the sticky note on the day for which you're going to complete the task to keep to basically get us back in control if something's out of control but everybody around the room is in the room to help you and and so governance is it, 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 it's a little different than compliance mm-hmm Okay, compliance is, here's what the spec said do, are you doing what the spec said do? Governance is, while the, it's out of spec, we've, we, we found that you're not doing that, so how do we get you back in control and make sure you stay in control? 
Yeah. And and so governance most and most journeys I've seen that fail, uh, there was a, a lack of governance. But before you can have governance, you have to have ownership. So how how do you help build that sense of ownership within a team within an organization? Well, we use strategy deployment as as a means to manage the intersections. And when we when we we deploy the strategy, then we use a process called Hoshin Jaco, where actually you can see who owns what in the strategy. And when you see who owns what the game changes. And then we have a visual process where ownership is visible. And and, and in that essence, uh, our saying is if you make people visible, they'll make you valuable. Hmm. So it's not a confrontation. uh, But as we deploy strategy, how do we know if you're executing strategy? So once you know what you own inside the strategy, what's the process that shows how you're doing hmm. to the team and it's around that the ownership piece we were, we were recently discussing discussing the Hawthorne effect right when they raised the lights production went up and they lowered the lights production went up and they concluded that uh, whatever you're watching whatever you're looking at um, or paying attention to you're going to um, get a better performance. But when you transfer ownership, it's different. When people are engaged and pay attention to you, making you making you valuable, you have a sense of urgency at all times, and it's around ownership. It's the value proposition within the individual. Right. And so we have a process around ownership that's second to none, and we consistently see the bar raising. Yeah, well, and it sounds like what, what I hear you saying is, you know, this idea of governance is a process of, of managers trying to help rather than just chewing people out and making them feel bad for not performing at the right level, right? Absolutely. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's the ownership piece uh, as far as managers. It's when managers start to think or embrace the idea that I work for you, you don't work for me. Mm. It's my job to enable, empower, engage, and provide you the resources you need. However, okay, the expectations are the expectations, mm-hmm. and I'm still the leader. However, the mindset around my team is though I work for them, they don't work for me. Yeah, and you hear a lot about that style of leadership from Toyota. Um, some would label it uh, servant leadership. You know, Toyota leaders talking about um, the obligation of leaders to help create a system in which people can be successful. You know, I think back to my days at GM twenty years ago. Uh, managers didn't feel that sense of obligation. They didn't feel like they worked for the employees. So it was, it was this bad cycle of. Um, you know, creating a bad system and then making the workers feel bad for not performing well in a bad system. It was really, really dysfunctional. Yes. You know, some managers uh, I've seen, uh, they look for facts to justify their opinion. Mm. And when that happened, uh, I think you demoralize your team. Yeah. 
uh, I, I think it was I was speaking to a young person recently, and we were talking about the numbers, and, and the person was very KPI focused. And my comment to the person was, not everything that counts can be counted. However, what should be counted must be. And he said, what do you mean? I said, so let's talk about the culture piece, the engagement piece. Let's talk about that team presenting the process to you and understanding where the gaps are in the process versus the gaps in the numbers. Mm-hmm. And when we had the discussion, uh, we talked about how he would cut people off and he never had a review process. There was no recognition process um, in which he asked me, so should I go buy t shirts Should I give him trophy, gift certificates? I said, again, you've missed a point. Mm. When I have those meetings, I'm recognizing the process, not the individual. I'm embracing the individual. So if Billy Taylor leaves, the process sustains the game. And I I stand up, we shake their hands, I go to plants on my plant visits, we take plaques and we take medals that we adopted from the military where the, the superior officer shakes hands and gives a coin away. We, we've adopted those type of processes uh, in, in our recognition system. However, the people get excited when we recognize the process, but we embrace the individual. Mm-hmm. And we just have to get out of the way. Actually, we get backlogged on the recognition um, events. People just, they're engaged, they... They want to bring more to the table. They, uh, the ideas just they just flow. Yeah. So, uh, how do you um, help create that culture and reinforce that culture? You know, as, as you described, you moved up from um, leading a department, um, you know, to being a plant manager, to being in a senior leadership role within the company. How how has your role? Um, changed or evolved um, at all as you've moved up through higher levels of manufacturing management? Uh, The core uh, process for myself has not changed. Mm. And I'll tell you, it's consistent. Define winning. That's around the clarity piece. Once I've defined winning and, and the team has embraced it, I move to aligning to win. And that process is where I spend um, the majority of my focus, and it's around uh, assuring that people know what they own in the process, what they own in the in, in the process of winning, and so aligning to win. Because in the absence of of, of, of ownership and clarity comes blame, mm. and then at that point, I focus on the third component, which is the execution process, and how do we know if we're winning or not? And do we celebrate the red? Do we celebrate the opportunities? And then do we have a process to recognize the systems and embrace the people? Mm-hmm. And if I can check those three boxes, I think that I, 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 I'm confident I get the, the core ingredient, which is, is inspiring trust. 
because now people have a voice. So are there things that you've had to do? You know, I think of, you know, again, I'm having, you know, flashbacks to manufacturing 20 years ago. Uh, People, uh, you know, frontline employees didn't have a voice. They weren't listened to. Nobody was really asking what they think. Have have you been in some situations where you've had to help, you know, uh, develop an environment where where people... um, or are able to use their employee voice and uh, how, you know, I guess creating trust is a big part of that, as you mentioned, right? Can you, can you talk more about that? Absolutely. Um, uh, I was actually promoted to go to a plant in Tyler, Texas. And actually when I get to the plant uh, within three days, I went in as the assistant. Uh, plant manager. Within three days, I was the interim plant manager. Some unfortunate events had had taken place. And what was interesting, um, I would get the leadership team in the room, and in that situation, I asked them to take a blank piece of paper and write down what are the the three uh, most important objectives in the plant. And I said, matter of fact, let let me be more direct. I said, what's the volume expectation? What's the bottom line EBIT expectation? And what's the safety expectation? And when they wrote, they were clear around safety, but no one knew what the other two was. And I felt that very, I found that very interesting. But two weeks later, we, we, we meet with teams. We have a very good strategy, but the needle never moves. It never, I mean, we, we actually... In some aspects, were getting worse. Hmm. And I walked the shop floor on night shift. I would come in at midnight. I would stay over to 7, 8 p.m., come back, and meet with the area managers. They had no idea what the strategy was. Hmm. And no one had even spoke to those individuals. So how do we handle it? Uh, we started what we, we call board meetings. And the area managers, they developed a board. And it was a 10-second rule. And within 10 seconds, if you walked up, whether you walked in, worked in the area or not, you could see if we were winning or not. And then we uh, attached an action register to it. Every two hours, we would have these board meetings. Area managers were the chairman of the boards. Leadership could not speak. Only frontline managers. Leaders were required to attend it was unbelievable what we found. You're talking about a hidden factory. Mm. We found a gold mine. <laughs> we found a gold mine. We went 90 consecutive days without missing one day of our customer expectations, our business expectations. We had a um, significant safety uh, improvement where we recognize uh, by a third party. Yeah. And so the when the area managers who live in that environment were able to express themselves, the whole enterprise changed. The pride around the organization changed. I, and it was worth, I mean, millions to the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, and they requested these T-shirts, and they were called Tyler Pride. And the only way you could get a T-shirt was to participate in a continuous improvement 
activity or event. You couldn't, you couldn't buy the shirt. They were not for sale. And, and what we did was, if you did one project, you received a, a bronze hair uh, cap pin you can put in your baseball cap. Mm-hmm. You did two, you had a silver, three gold, and you did 12, you got your platinum and a Goodyear racing jacket. We, we initially started with one meeting on Fridays, which is our, recogni- our process recognition meeting. We ended up moving to four, and we were still backlogged. Mm. Now, those pins, the price of those pins were 30 cents a piece. Mm. The value of those pins, priceless, <laughs> right? Because you could wear that proudly, and you knew you were part of the transformation, but it was very visible through the plan. Right. And and every board we looked at, we called it 10 seconds, the 10-second rule. And we, how we govern the 10-second rule, we'd stop people that worked in the work area, and we'd, stay, we'd, we'd stand 10 feet from the board, and we'd say, what does this board mean to you? And when we initially started, over 90% would give us the shrug. I, I have no idea what that board means to me. Mm-hmm. That's what my manager wants me to see. And it was interesting. It goes back. I recently, I was preparing a presentation that I'm going to give at Ohio State, and I found a a cartoon. <laughs> and it was it was for me. It was surreal because your name was on the cartoon. Yeah. Yeah. And now I'm surfing the net looking for something that's applicable to the message, <laughs> and I'm like, wow. And it was two dogs watching a a bulletin board, and it was. It was if the dog was talking to the, his, his or her manager, and he says, you told me to stand here and bark at the red. All I see is gray. <laughs> and I thought, wow, how appropriate. How often do people walk by the bulletin boards in, in others' organizations and all they see is gray? Yeah. And the manager wants them to see red and use it as a hammer mm-hmm. versus an engagement tool. Right. And, and so when we started the transformation, basically, we also had to create an environment where it was safe to change. Right. And I, I will share um, a, a link. I'll, I'll, just, I'll put the cartoon uh, in the blog post for this episode because, um, yeah, I mean, that was part of the you know, the, the origin of, of the cartoon, uh, Carrie Sherman, uh, is a, a friend and colleague of mine who, who did the drawing, but we, you know, we, we played catch ball on the, uh, the concept around the cartoon and, and she draw, drew it brilliantly. But, you know, I see this happen in organizations, including hospitals where there, there's some sort of target and there's just this simplistic comparison of red or green. Are we better than target or worse than target? And, you know, it's it's easy just to to, if you will, bark at the red. It's harder to understand why performance is what it is, and it's it's harder. I think it's more important to engage people in in trying to improve the performance. And, and I like the way you put it. You know, you have to embrace the people and work together with them to try to turn red into green, and 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 do so in a way uh, that's better than just lowering the target. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, and that was interesting as I was invited to speak at uh, Mid-Michigan Health, and the the CEO invited me to come speak to her team, and it was at 
uh, her annual operating uh, meeting. And here's what was intriguing. She asked me, Billy, could you wear pink? Could you wear a pink tie, a pink shirt, pink socks? Because the theme's pink. Mm -hmm. And so I I arrived, and she has on a princess outfit with a crown, (laughs) princess dress, a wand. And I'm thinking, this is the CEO. And so we go through the presentation, and first thing I noticed was the environment. It was one that was very comfortable. Hmm. And you could not decipher rank. And why was that important? And this was an annual operating meeting. And, and so it was around engagement. But here's the, the, the funniest thing for me. It started with her making, making an environment or creating an environment where she was comfortable being uncomfortable. <laughs> okay, so with the pink. And she wanted me to step into that arena with all of the pink to be comfortable being uncomfortable. But what was interesting, at the end of her AOP meeting, she said, Billy, could you come up and we're going to dance to close the meeting? And I get up and I'm like, okay, this is going to be, this is interesting. Yeah. And then at that point, and I'm joking with her, I said, look, I think, you know, I'm a black guy. I got a little rhythm. I have a little rhythm. And we're, we're joking. They laugh. And I yeah. said, no, we move beyond stereotypes. But when the music comes on, I look over her. I just stop. I freeze. I look at her. I'm like, whoa, what are you doing? Now, here's why. The music that came on was, so watch me whip and watch me nay nay. Mm-hmm. I think you're playing a, a rap song at your annual operating meeting. Wearing a princess costume. Doing, wearing a princess. <laughs> and you're doing the dance? What do you think I do 10 seconds later? I start doing the dance she's doing. What do you think the audience does 10 seconds after I start? They start doing the dance. Yeah. Pretty soon, only thing's missing here is cocktails. <laughs> Everybody's in engagement mode, but she created an environment where it was safe to change. It was safe to get out of your comfort zone. And her statement was, great leaders, when they're, when they're on their lean journey, they have to create an environment where it's safe to change. It's safe to fail. And that's interesting. And you do that by engaging people. Yeah, it's funny. You know, your, your, your story kind of you know, points out, because um, you said this organization was called Mid-Michigan Health. Is that right? Yes. Um, yeah, there, there's a different, uh, <laughs> I mean, there, there's, there's a, you know, a sense of fun um, sometimes in healthcare, you know, even though it's, it's really, you know, it's very serious serious work um that's one thing i I appreciate about healthcare and i you know i remember making that switch in the healthcare you know they're uh you know it's just a difference in culture there are times i felt um uncomfortable the first time a nurse manager came and gave me a big hug because she was happy about something i think back to you know my days in in big companies and i you know i think you don't hug people at work like i got got uncomfortable for a minute and so okay Mm -hmm. this is this is how people um you know, it's, it's how people, uh, I still don't initiate a lot of hugs, but, um, you know, it's a different, uh, <laughs> a different setting. And, um, you know, it's kind of, you know, maybe back to the, you know, the theme of improvement. Um, I was doing a workout the other day and I was listening to, a you know, an audio, uh, workout coach and, and, you know, she said something like, um, uh, without discomfort, there's no change. And I think, you know, that was meant to be, you know, inspiring of, mm-hmm. okay, push yourself mm-hmm. harder 
um, that that dis, some discomfort is natural. I mean, what, what are your thoughts on that when you think about trying to uh, improve a factory, trying to change a culture? I mean, it's inevitable there's going to be discomfort for people, right? It, there, there is going to be discomfort uh, because change, again, it, it's uncomfortable. And, and, and I reference it to her, her statement with, right, about the pain. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change it from pain to being uncomfortable. It's different. It feels yeah. different. It, it, it hurts. And so, but at some point, if you're going to achieve your goal, you have to go through that. You have to go through that uncomfortableness. You have to, and that's why great leaders, all right, they create an environment where you can be comfortable being uncomfortable. And, and, and that's, you know, you, 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 must, you must go through those. It's different. Sometimes it's not painful. It's just different. And we call it pain. Yeah. And, and emotionally, recreate the pain. What, what, what do you mean by that, recreate the pain? Emotionally. Um, I, I love, I, I've learned a lot working with consultants. Uh, and uh, you can't teach what you don't know, nor can you lead where you won't go. Mm-hmm. And But here's what I learned where I didn't have some success was when people feel you're doing it to them versus with them, Right. it's painful. And so emotionally, I create this baggage. I, I create this resistance to the training. I create this resistance and things that I say hurt really doesn't hurt that bad. Mm -hmm. Uh, But when you go ask people, they'll tell you in most cases. And and, and I use the analogy for myself and and, and don't take this literally. And I'll give you a little context on how this this came about. Mm -hmm. I tell my team, do not ever treat me like you do some ladies in the grocery store with the baby carriage what happens you walk up to the baby carriage and you do what in some cases you lie you look down and you say oh it's so cute it's so precious and you walk away and you say dang that's the ugly baby right and sometimes some people get rude some it doesn't even look like the father right and i tell them now listen tell me when i have an ugly baby and they said, Billy, that's cruel. I said, mm-hmm. now let me put it into context. Once I did my daughter's hair, my wife was at a conference, and my daughter stayed with me that morning, and I did her hair. And when we, my wife came back, and she just really got on to me about, I made her baby ugly. And look at her hair. And after taking this for so long, I just politely stated, you've never shown me how to do hair. <laughs> you've never given me a process to do hair. But you have critique. And show me how to do the hair. <laughs> Give me a process. And, 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 and at the end of some of my presentations, I put the picture up of my daughter. I actually have the picture of that hairdo back then. And then I have the picture of my daughter now, and the theme of that slide is there are no ugly babies. (laughs) There's lack of process and lack of ownership because I didn't own it as well. 
And I said, look at my daughter now, and she's gorgeous. And I now have a process. I pay for her to go to the beauty salon. <laughs> and so You outsource that. <laughs> there you go. And so it, it's interesting when you're, you're talking about change and, and the pain of, of change. Right? If, if Billy Taylor wants to lose weight, I can't keep doing the same thing that I'm doing. I can't go out and eat a 5,000-calorie meal plan every day. Mm -hmm. And I have to change. And uh, it's about inputs more so than outputs. Mm -hmm. The process. And even in our – that's right. In our our strategy deployment system, it's it's interesting, the second part of the Hoshin, right, the execution part. And often – we we call it the formula for success is strategy plus execution equals results. Mm-hmm. So why do so many companies fail to execute? Because people don't know who owns what in the strategy. Yeah. We've seen that time and time again. And Alan Malloy, Malloy and even our CEO, Rich Kramer, uh, I've heard Rich say it numerous times, you cannot manage a secret. Hmm. In your lean journey... And even in your strategy, when you, your strategic planning, you cannot manage a secret. So if you do not deploy the strategy, it is a secret. If you do not destroy, I mean, deploy the, the ownership, you're going to des- destroy the strategy. People don't know. Yeah. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.